This is The Culture. What's up, guys, and welcome back to the Culture Wave Media Network. Now, there's one show that is on everyone's minds as of late, and it is the live-action Star Wars program, Ahsoka, which was created by Dave Filoni and stars Rosario Dawson as the dual lightsaber-wielding titular hero, Ahsoka Tano. I'm going to be reviewing the first two episodes of the series right now, but before I jump into that, I wanted to remind you all to please like, comment, share, and subscribe to us on YouTube, as well as Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I also have a really awesome announcement to make as we continue to grow out this channel. For this review, I'm going to be joined by the host of the Star Wars Mark of Balance podcast and the remainder of the Ahsoka reviews for this channel. Please help me welcome Mark Iacobino. Awesome. Thank yeah. you guys for having me. This is really exciting. This is my first time doing a guest appearance on another podcast. So thank you guys for the opportunity. And of course, I'm excited to dive into this Ahsoka series because it's a character that's near and dear to my heart, obviously repping. The Clone Wars shirt. I've been watching shows with her in them since 2008, and uh, I'm excited to see her kind of be the front runner of this show and um, give my insights where I can and help you out. I know you haven't seen Rebels or Clone Wars, so kind of give some insights there and just have a conversation about the show. So thanks again. Absolutely, man. Really excited to talk to you. Uh, and again, just for you guys, Mark's podcast is definitely a must listen for not only diehard Star Wars fans, but just casual fans of the franchise as well. Uh, all the information on his podcast is going to be in the description below. But let's dive right in, man. This is this has been a series that has been uh, talked about for a while. And uh, again, Dave Filoni kind of headlining uh, a show, which he's done previously, but never in the live action format, right? So in terms of just his direction going from uh, animation to live action, because like, like you had prefaced, I haven't seen, uh, I've only seen one episode of Clone Wars, like the first episode ever. Mm -hmm. And I've never seen an episode of Rebels, though I, I do want to start watching them very soon. Mm -hmm. But what are your thoughts in terms of uh, how he's done through the first two episodes of Ahsoka transitioning from uh, animated to live action in terms of like the full scope, right? Because he's directed episodes of Mandalorian, He's directed episodes, I think, of some of the other live-action Star Wars series. But what are your thoughts on the first two episodes in terms of Filoni's direction? Yeah, as someone who has always admired Dave Filoni as a storyteller in the animated space, it was a bit surprising that he wanted to take this show to live-action because, as we've talked before off the podcast, I'm a huge proponent for animation as a storytelling medium. And I think it's a bit overlooked in, in the general public nowadays. I know it's kind of changing with my man, Miles Morales right here <laughs> with Spider-Verse, but um, you know, it was a bit confusing. Like, you know, why wouldn't you want to continue this story in animated form since it is a sequel to Rebels? But I think all of that washed away within the first 20, 30 minutes because it felt the most Star Wars that any of the live action shows have felt for me, at least when I was watching it, because I think he brought a lot of that DNA that George Lucas brings into this show. We can see, you know, the pacing, the camera work, the music, and I think the sense of adventure is huge here. Not just, you know, going out on this mystical journey, but there's a lot of mythical elements to it with the Night Sisters, these ancient civilizations, different galaxies. I think all of that is really important to bring to Star Wars, and I think he established that very early here. So, I was really impressed with it. I'm, of course, a huge fan of Filoni. I think he can do no wrong. But um, I think when it came to Ahsoka here, he, he did a really great job so far. I was going to say, I think that for someone that's so entrenched in, in basically like only Star Wars in this, in filmmaking and television, all that kind of stuff, there's a nuanced take that he has where you can see 
like you were saying, the Georgisms in it. Mm -hmm. But it's such a true tribute, at least through the first two episodes for me, to like Star Wars, like original Star Wars and paying tribute to not only the original trilogy, but the prequel trilogy as well. There's a lot of like symbolic things that you see throughout that are like, um, again, like homages to certain mm -hmm. sequences and certain characters. And again, like I know in, again, I haven't watched the show, but uh, Darth Maul is in, in Clone Wars and Rebels or mm -hmm. just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like that's a, that's a legacy character that he's already had his hands on. Mm -hmm. So being able to, see the respect paid, but also kind of paving the way for what is, seems like it's going to be a very expansive sort of journey. And again, he's transitioning out of animation into a live action, like season of television that kind of continues on from where the animation left off. Am I, mm -hmm. am I wrong in that? Or absolutely. Absolutely. This even has a scene that is a recreation of the epilogue of rebels, the scene where, Sabine gets on the ship with Ahsoka, she rubs the mural, and then she turns around. That's from Rebels, that epilogue, where it was really a cliffhanger in 2018 when it came out, and all of us Rebels fans were like, wait, we want to see the rest of this story. Where is Ezra? Where is Thrawn? Where so season season four ended with that sequence? Yes. Okay. Yep. Essentially, Ezra sacrifices himself to save Lothal, this planet that we're introduced to here where Sabine is staying. Um, he saves them by taking Thrawn away using the Purgle. We'll get into yeah, all yeah. the, the nuance of all of it. Yeah, but, um, you know, Lothal was the main setting of Rebels, so it has a lot of history to it. If you've seen Rebels, um, I know new characters and new people that are coming to the show. You know, you don't really know Lothal, but there's a lot of, you know, history there, which is really cool. There was, there was something we talked about off camera that I wanted to kind of make this be one of the jumping off points for our conversation, but... Again, Ahsoka is the only character that I had seen previously because of the live action shows that I've watched. So I've seen her in Mandalorian. I've seen her in Book of Boba Fett. Um, I love Rosario Dawson. I think she's an awesome actress. I think she brings a lot to the character. Um, but some of the other characters that are introduced, like you were talking about, like, and again, not introduced, but reintroduced for this show, like Sabine, like uh, Hera Sandala. Uh, and then there's some other new characters. I think Ray Stevenson's character is a new character, right? Mm -hmm. So, but uh, going back to the characters that have already been established, in terms of their live action introductions, do you think they do a good job for people like me and some other people like our producer, Mikey, today, who haven't watched the animated shows? that it gives you a clear indication that that is a continuation of the characters from the animated versions bringing into live action. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's definitely something I want to get your perspective on. Cause I think it's important, you know, what you guys saw when you watched the show for the first time, but yeah, I think they embodied the roles so well. And that was really surprising for me because again, that was another thing that I was very hesitant about coming to the show because I have had so much history with these characters in a different medium and a different voice actor inheriting that role so when they were introduced i was like okay they look like them this looks good and then i think again within those first couple scenes i think they really embody those roles so well like you said with sabine that first scene where we have the hard rock star wars music and you know she's obviously a rebel she's obviously very independent but you can see that she does care about ezra and she is always thinking about how she can look out for other people and with ahsoka you can see this she's this stoic jedi who is again independent but does care for other people and wants to make the galaxy a better place and then hera is a mother figure you know in rebels she even calls everyone on in the ghost crew her kids so that is a great continuation here because you can see she's trying to stop the kids from fighting she's trying to get yeah. ahsoka and sabine to kind of make up 
she's kind of playing this kind of game with them like oh you should go check on sabine you know maybe she can help you with this and then ahsoka's like okay i'll go there and then sabine's like hera did you set all this up and you know there's some bickering there but i think hera did a great job of being that mother-like figure and you also get a piece of her pilot side you know in that escape scene in episode two like she was a huge pilot in rebels and then in bad batch we actually get her origin story as a kid on ryloth and she was always looking up in the sky she always wanted to be a pilot so i think that was another thing that was added to the show that was a nice touch for people who maybe aren't as familiar with her yeah i think especially from my perspective for someone that's not as well versed in those characters it's really encouraging to hear basically your explanation on who these characters are in the transition to live action because i think Everything that you just stated is what I was able to gather from the characters in the first two episodes. So that's a thumbs up, Dave Filoni. You're doing the right thing so far. Um, Hera was a character that I definitely, I was intrigued by. Uh, And again, um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who not only is, this is her first Star Wars thing, but she's married to Ewan McGregor, who's Obi-Wan himself. (laughs) Um, But it was really cool to see her uh, kind of have fun with the character. Because as an actress, I feel like she hasn't had a lot of fun roles, but this is something where she could sink her teeth into and there's a lot of history behind it as well that mm-hmm. and i thought like you were saying a motherly figure like and she's a general i believe and it was so yeah. obvious that she kind of embodied this strong-willed strong-minded like female character and it, i thought it was great ahsoka again i think that i'm very intrigued to see rosario doesn't play a lot of characters that are held back and reserved. Mm. And I don't know if Ahsoka's always, I'm sure Ahsoka hasn't always been that way, right? She was Anakin's Padawan. Um, But you start to see this calmness come over her in certain situations. And I really appreciated that about her character. What did you think about the first couple episodes um, and Rosario's take on Ahsoka kind of having a little bit more, like a whole show centered around her playing the character rather than Ashley Eckstein who voiced the character for so many years. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was kind of a tryout for Rosario. Cause you know, in Mandalorian and Boba Fett, she only had a couple scenes. She didn't really get to sink her teeth into Ahsoka. So having a whole show where we can see a lot more of her give this performance, I thought she did a, a great job and it was awesome to see her more and kind of put those nuances on the performance that she might not have been able to bring to the other shows. And I really enjoyed like that stoic nature of her, as as you kind of said, Ahsoka does become more reserved throughout her time in the Clone Wars and in Rebels because she goes through so many traumatic things. I mean, her master turns into Darth Vader. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really deep stuff. And of course, she leaves the Order on her own volition. So there's a lot of history for her. So you can understand why she is this independent person. It's hard for her to maybe make those meaningful connections, which is kind of juxtaposed to what she wants to do because she wants to make the galaxy a better place and that kind of involves making connections so you can see here there's kind of that uh duality within her with sabine being this padawan that doesn't want to be her padawan anymore and she's like oh i don't want to be a master she's not ready and you can kind of turn that around on her and be like well were you ready and i know Hera says that which was great like you know how do you know when you're ready like yeah is there a sign that that's a great that's a great scene that they have when it they is. when they're um they're basically investigating within that's this episode two they're investigating uh whether they're tr- they're trying to get information correct me if i'm wrong about the new republic and what is happening and, and thrawn because the whole threat that they're going after is grand admiral thrawn which again so for me this is a character that i've heard about for years yeah but I'm unaware of who he is. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, a lot of people, again, like 
people who are probably more casual Star Wars fans, like, yeah, he's like the Thanos of Star Wars. And that's kind of what they, so that might not even be the case, <laughs> yeah. but I know that's something that they've been building toward that, that they might want to basically combine all these franchises they're doing right now on Disney plus like Mandalorian and Boba Fett and Ahsoka to eventually have this big threat that could be thrown. So yeah. Give me a little bit, and sorry for all the people that again I'm I'm learning as we're going with yeah, all this. Great. Yeah. So, um, but explain to me the threat that Thrawn basically could be for these characters, and uh, the relationship between like Ahsoka, Hera, and Sabine to Thrawn as a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Thrawn is another piece of this kind of homage that Dave Filoni is paying to other pieces of Star Wars, like you said in the beginning with the prequels and. The originals, he bakes in that DNA into that opening scene with Balon and Shin. It's almost a carbon copy of Phantom Menace, the intro scene, and it's also a carbon copy of A New Hope with them, you know, invading a ship and killing rebels in a hallway, <laughs> as always. But with Thrawn, he comes from a book series back in the 90s, and it was Expanded Universe uh, by Timothy Zahn, and those are, like, beloved books. And that's really where that character gained traction and then he was reintroduced into canon in rebels in season three um and he also has now had six more books published about him about his kind of origin how he became part of the empire because he's obviously an alien the empire does not usually have aliens in their ranks if you look at the empire all of the officers are humans so Mm -hmm. you know there's that like xenophobia type thing going on in the empire um So Thrawn is just a master tactician. And of course that can be used on any villain. You could be like, oh, every villain's kind of smart. But the way they characterize Thrawn is so great because he's a villain. He's apathetic. Everything to him is an asset. You know, he doesn't see things as like losing troops. It's like, no, I'm losing this many people. That's an important sector. We need to keep that sector. But he also has this cultural side. He really appreciates art. And I hope that they pull that into the show because it's a really interesting aspect of him that makes him kind of stand out among other villains that he respects culture when he is kind of planning or plotting against a planet or a culture. He looks at their art to kind of get insights into what they're about. He does it in Rebels Against Hera. It's really a great episode because they have this back and forth where they're on her homeworld and he uses these family heirlooms to kind of predict their moves and it's it's really interesting, and I hope that they bring that in. I'm sure Dave Filoni will. Um, so that's just something to look out for is, mm-hmm. like, this art piece. It's really interesting. Um, so definitely look out for that. And I guess it's just – it's not like he's all-powerful. It's not like he's a Palpatine. It's not like he's anything like that, but he's just a master tactician. And if he is given the right resources, he will use them to a Palpatine-like level. Even though he doesn't have the Force, he – could be a master in strategy and combat. And that's really where his threat lies. So would he be the type of character in which, uh, so like in, in some other films and television, right? You, you're trying to root for the protagonist or the good guys, so to speak, mm-hmm. but there's such an, um, an interesting and thought provoking pattern that goes along with the villainous characters. And I, I, for pro wrestling fans, like they talk about it all the time. It's like, you'd rather be a heel. You'd ra- a lot of people would rather be a heel than a baby face because it's fun to be the bad guy. Right. Mm-hmm. But is Thrawn a character that as a star Wars fan, people cling on to more so from those stories because of these interesting elements that Filoni has brought to the character, mm-hmm. just a complete commitment to tactical supremacy. And it's not like he's doing it out of emotion. That's another piece of Thrawn is, 
He's not emotional about any of the things he does, even if they're terrible, even if he loses a bunch of his own men or any of his ships. Like He's just very even-keeled the entire time. And I think people almost appreciate that, that it's almost an emotionless thing that he doesn't get joy, he doesn't get pleasure out of it. He just does it because that's what he needs to do. That's his job. That's what, you know, maybe deep down he enjoys it, but he never outwardly shows it. And I think people kind of just connect to someone that's so committed to something but isn't looking for the praise or anything like Mm -hmm. i remember in the books like when he got promoted to grand admiral it's not like he was pumped about it he was just like nope that's completely correct i was great at what i did and i completed the mission like he's just completely stoic and it's it's awesome and i can't wait for the character to be in live action because it's the same actor yeah lars mickelson right yeah yeah he played that voice in rebels and his voice is so cold it is so good and i'm excited to see what he brings to the to the live action version so i think there are elements of what you just said though that are definitely reminiscent of thanos like again Mm -hmm. he might not be this all-powerful force right but there's the element of again like there was something within infinity war where i feel like people would be able to watch that and be like as crazy as it sounds and as fucked up as it is, I kind of understand why he's doing what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And there was not a lot of emotion to it. He was just like, yeah, no, I just want balance. That's what I've wanted. And they show at the end of that film in the beginning of Endgame that he's kind of okay with it. Like once that happens, he's just like, yeah, I destroyed the glove. I don't need it anymore. Like Mm -hmm. I did what I needed to do. And that's the end of it. The thing for me um, in terms of Thrawn and why I'm excited is um, though. I think, I think book of Boba Fett is, is a decent series the uh one thing um remind me of the character the uh the alien that comes in he's like the outlaw oh cad bane cad bane so i didn't know anything about cad bane before watching that series (laughs) and i believe that's the same voice actor that does it in the live action as well right i believe so cad so uh just that element of it as well like cad was a character that when they came on screen i was like he lived up to the hype and more to me like i was like yeah he like and i want to root for that guy which Mm -hmm. is like again the imagery and the visualization of what that character is so what is something that you're looking for in terms of when we finally do get an introduction on thrawn and how many episodes you think until we see him because we haven't seen him yet yeah that's good i think the biggest thing i'm looking forward to is i think he was a bit nerfed in the rebel series because it was a more kids focus show okay so he couldn't really stretch his muscles to the biggest extent that you see in the books where he is this ruthless general so i'm really excited to see more of that here in live action i think it'll be really intense it'll be really impressive if they pull it off because there's a lot of twists and turns that he kind of does where he's weaving his web of his strategy and you're kind of like how is this going to work out? And everyone around him is like, how's this going to work out? And then in the end, it all comes together and you're like, wow, mind blown. How did he put that all together? So that's what I'm most looking forward to with him. And then, yeah, like you said, when are we going to see him? It's a good question. I'm thinking episode five because it looks like next episode, they're going to be kind of fighting in that uh, forest that we see in the trailers. And they're obviously on that planet now. And then Sabine and Ahsoka are heading there now. So I'm thinking like episode five, we might, we might see Thrawn make an appearance. Okay. Do we have, do we have an episode count on Ahsoka? How many episodes are supposed to be? 
eight episodes. And this is not, we're not sure if it's a limited series. We're not sure if it's a, like, we know it's a, basically what a lot of people are saying. It's a continuation of rebels in live action. Right. Mm -hmm. But rebels has gone four seasons. Mm -hmm. Correct. And now again, we're transitioning to live action. So, um, so again, all right. So episode five is an interesting one. One thing that I wanted to touch upon, because you were talking about the art and that effect there's a there's a mural that we've seen multiple times throughout the first two episodes, and as you've now alluded to, that I I am ha- privy to the information that it's also been in Rebels, right? Mm-hmm. So this mural that has Hera, Ezra, um, Sabine, um, uh, the droid Zeb, Zeb is and Chopper and Chopper, and then Kanan, right? Kanan, yep. So explain to me, um, again as the dum dum here, explain no, to me no, what no. that explain to me what that means and what basically th- that is symbolizing for not only the first two episodes, but going forward in, in terms of your prediction for the series. Sure. So I really think it's just a, it really is a monument to the rebels crew, the ghost crew, essentially. They were the ones who were the driving force behind the liberation of Lothal. So Sabine, as we kind of allude to in these first couple episodes is an artist. She is very artsy. You know, you see her drawings are on Ahsoka's ship. Um, in a rebels like her room was always spray painted all of her armor is decorated by her she draws everything on her mandalorian armor so i don't think you know maybe this is bad as a, as a diehard fan to not do this i don't know if she was the one that did the mural it would make sense if she painted it herself mm-hmm. as a you know an a homage to all of her friends because obviously you know they lost some friends during this, yeah during this battle um so i think it really is just a a mural to show the family dynamic of them so as someone who maybe didn't watch the show you can see that and be like there was this family type group that came together to rescue lothal and you can see that you know now they're kind of all out doing their own things now and they've kind of separated since and um yeah you see the the wolves are are very prominent i don't want to dive into the wolves because that's a whole other piece of rebels but these uh these loath wolves represent a lot of you know force sensitivity on the planet um so that's kind of why those are there okay uh, that's that's the main story behind the mural nothing too crazy just kind of a a representation of the family so i want to touch on sabine as well because for me uh i thought sabine was the most strong was the strongest character throughout the first two episodes there was it's interesting because for a show that's titled Ahsoka, I feel like so much was focused on Sabine, but again, showing that she was the Padawan of Ahsoka and eventually it seems like she might be coming back into that. Right. Um, There's something to her character with the relationship to Ezra. That is so interesting to me. And we touched upon it a little bit off screen or uh, off camera, but basically the relationship between her and Ezra is interesting to me because Ezra says in the um, telegram, essentially that she gets the hologram, I should say (laughs) that, um, that he loves her like a sister and all this other stuff. Right. But there was an element of it that seemed like it meant more to her than that. Um, Where do you think she fits in throughout the first two episodes in terms of where she'll end up by the end of the series? Yeah, so I first want to like preface this by saying that if you are a fan who hasn't seen Rebels or Clone Wars, the Ahsoka and Sabine relationship has never been explored before. So you're not falling behind, you're not missing out on anything. This is completely new for this series. I can't even think of a interaction where they had in Rebels. So this is completely new, so don't feel like you're behind in any space 
in that aspect. So my follow-up to that then yeah. is in terms of, cause they talk, Hera says that she was like, she was being trained by Ahsoka to be a Jedi. Right. Mm-hmm. Do we see any, we don't see any of that. So that's new information for everyone. That is brand new information. I think that was a stroke of genius by Dave Filoni to do that. So that everyone who watches it casual or diehard is on the same, even playing field coming into the show, because that is a new relationship. The only time that Sabine ever had, I would say Jedi-like training is when she got the Darksaber and Kanan trained her to use it. And it was a really great training exercise because it made her face her past and what she did on Mandalore. Don't know if we want to get into that. But... Yeah, that's a deeper conversation. <laughs> but essentially, you know, it was very Jedi-like training, but it wasn't meant to be Jedi-like training. It was simply, you know, you need to face your past. You need to move forward as a person. You need to grow and that'll help you wield the Darksaber. And that was her real only introduction into lightsaber training, Jedi training. But other than that, yeah, we haven't seen that. And we have to remember that Rebels takes place before A New Hope. So we, as diehard fans, we don't know when that training occurs. We don't know if that's happening during the original trilogy. We don't know where Ahsoka was during the original trilogy. So that's, you know, 10 to 15 years of timeline that is brand new for everyone. So we don't know when it happened. And I think the rest of the show is going to kind of through these relationships, through these um, conversations, and maybe through this training Again, we're going to learn more about what exactly happened with Ahsoka between episodes four and six, and what was Sabine doing on Lothal? When did Ahsoka come back to train her? How did that even come about? Because it's not like at any point um, in Rebels was Ezra like, Ahsoka, you need to go train Sabine. Like, she yeah, yeah. be a Jedi one day. Like, that just never happened. So I, I hope by the end of the series we see Sabine, you know, obviously be a little more mature. I mean, she's been through a yeah. lot. Um, and she does do a lot of growing in Rebels, but I think she does have a lot of room to grow as just a, a more mature individual. And I think that'll be something that could be ironed out through Jedi-like training. And Ahsoka, too. Like, Ahsoka is a broken person. She's been through a lot. So I think, you know, that relationship between them, hopefully, they both come out better for it by the end of the show. And we've talked a little bit about it, but we're, we are going to see Hayden Christensen return. As yeah. Anakin Skywalker. I've seen the rumors. I, I just, I never know if it's true. So he's in the trailer. Right. Yeah. So, so we know we're going to see him at some point. Yeah. Are yeah. you anticipating it being something that is faithful to, um, I mean, I, I should say all Star Wars fans, but again, for, for his arc in Clone Wars, which I feel like is a very important one with this connection to Ahsoka, mm-hmm. do you think they're going to be able to have it pay off in live action, bringing back Hayden and interacting with Rosario? Yeah, it's, it's two completely different people portraying the relationship that was only ever in animation. So exactly. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to do. Um, I think Dave Filoni has done a really good job so far of paying respect to those animated characters. So that's really all i can hope for whether hayden christensen is a force ghost in this series or if they decide to do some sort of flashback i don't know i don't really think that would pay off in a flashback so i think you know maybe it'll only be a voiceover maybe it won't even be a force ghost that we see maybe it'll just be you know ahsoka hears these thoughts while she's meditating and she's able to maybe commune with anakin that way and it's just his voice that he contributes and maybe not um seeing hayden as anakin again but you never know. It, it's it's really hard to to pull in those legacy characters and, and and make it pay off, like you said, especially when it's something that was in animation. Before. Yeah, and my question for you is, as someone who has followed that relationship that is now being is going to be portrayed by two different people, is there something that you are looking for in terms of 
if they do bring him in that will make it feel fulfilling? Or do you think it's unnecessary, like from based on where they had left off in Clone Wars? Like, what are you looking for in terms of bringing back Anakin Skywalker to have an interaction? Or again, even if it's a flashback, like you're saying, which is possible, like we've seen that before, mm-hmm. right? I think we saw a couple flashbacks in Obi-Wan, no? So, so there are elements that we can see that, right? What is something that you're looking for for it to be a successful payoff in your mind? Yeah, uh, it's really hard to say. The way things left off between them, um, she confirmed essentially that he was Darth Vader. So, you know, they have this epic duel at the end of of Rebel Season 2, which is one of the best episodes of Star Wars that we have, period. It's one of the best moments in Star Wars. So we leave off at this junction where, you know, Ahsoka accepts that he was... Darth Vader and she says like you know I'm not going to leave you again because you know she left the order and you know partly she blames herself for him turning to Darth Vader because she was a connection that he held dear and her leaving you know that takes a toll on him so you know is there still some of that guilt between them maybe maybe that needs to be resolved I think that's really the only place they can go with it because it was a very um, explosive last meeting between them and now they're both in different places. They're both in better places, obviously. So, um, yeah, it, it'll be a hard thing to strike the balance with. You don't want it to come off too, you know, contrived or, like, emotional, like, I'm back, Ahsoka. Thank you for believing in me. Like, yeah, yeah. You don't want anything like that. But, um, you know, you, you just have to put the trust in Dave because he has written so many of these Clone Wars episodes between these two characters. So you just have to believe in him and that he knows what he wants to do with those two characters. Yeah, for sure. I'm interested to see it because again, I, I know that the relationship between the two of them is something that is like very near and dear to a lot of star Wars fans hearts. So mm-hmm. again, bringing, and they're both great actors. I mean, Hayden's done a great job. And again, him coming back for Obi-Wan, I thought was a real Testament to showing his commitment and his acceptance of him playing the character and the prequel trilogy and what came with all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested to see that. I, I did want to go back to talk about Sabine because Natasha Lou Bord, uh, Bordizzo plays the character in live action. And she's not a, <clears throat> excuse me, she's not a well-known actress. But I thought she did a really great job. And again, for someone that the show is not named Sabine, mm-hmm. it felt like so much of not only the thrusting the story forward, but a lot of the important character moments came from her. Mm-hmm. So I just thought she did a great job. What were your thoughts on her portrayal as Sabine in the first two episodes? Yeah, I thought she was great. Like I said, I think they introduced her really well. I think you get what her character is about, you know, almost immediately, which is important when you don't have the context of what she's kind of been through in seasons one through four in Rebels. So I thought she did a great job. She was definitely my favorite part, I think, when it comes to characters uh, other than Shin and Balon. I really like them. Uh, Maybe we'll get into that. But I'm realizing now we kind of skipped over the whole Ezra and her relationship part. I know we kind of sidetracked on that. Um but I, you know, overall, I thought she was great. Um, if we want to go back to to Ezra and Sabine's relationship, I think the best way I could describe it is, you know, they butt heads early on because they're both teenagers at the time when they pick up um, Ezra on Lothal. They're both teenagers. They're both the same age. Again, you think she's independent now. You think she's like impulsive now. Like even back then, she was even more impulsive. So mm-hmm. you know, they always butt heads early on. But they kind of, as they both matured, they kind of learned to understand each other. And they had this, you know, unspoken bond where, you know, maybe they weren't having these grand heart to hearts as the sun set or anything like that. But 
in moments where they needed each other, they were both there for each other and they both supported each other. It's like an understanding between the two characters, right? That's the best way you can put it because that's really what it was. And in the last season, you know, they have this moment where Ezra knows what he needs to do and Sabine knows that she both can't stop him and she knows that he needs to do this. And they have that kind of unspoken dialogue in a scene and that's the last time she ever sees him. And I know... It is, you know, we hear the brother-sister thing, like you said, in Star Wars. Um, I do think he genuinely means it in that type of way. Is there, you know, a deeper uh, affinity for each other? Maybe um, we might see that in, in a reunion if that even happens. If Ezra is even still alive, that's another mystery that, you know, uh, Filoni could throw a curveball and be like, you know, Ezra's actually, you know, he's gone. He's not really out there. Um, so I think that relationship is really interesting. I think as Rebels fans... We do see it as a brother-sister relationship, but, um, you know, probably at one point, you know, Ezra, a teenage boy, stuck with a teenage girl. He probably had some feelings for her, and I'm sure she once in a while thought about that as well. But I think the brother-sister thing is is a good way to put it. I think one thing that a lot of people were, like I touched on a little bit in the beginning, people were worried about the transition from, if you've never watched these series, do you think that they were able to fill in the blanks well enough for the people like me who don't understand these characters there's there's a lot in the show that because i don't have something established i don't know what's new versus what's what's but at the same time i feel like in terms of character development i'm able to know who the characters are off the jump which i think is an important thing i'd say that's probably the most important thing is just understanding who these characters are and i think with dave filoni it's it's really tough. He had a really tough job here because he both had to appease fans who have been fans since Clone Wars and Rebels and have seen everything, but he also had to make it somewhat palatable for casual fans who haven't seen all that stuff and have only known these characters in live action. And, you know, he has to toe that line, and that's really hard. You don't want to be too expositionary where you're every scene you're explaining, remember when we did this in that time or remember when we did this, and you also don't want to be too vague where people like you might be like, okay, I have no idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. So I personally think he towed that line really well where he gave the exposition where it was necessary. And he also was able to also feed the fans that have been here for a while, because unfortunately I think a lot of other live action star Wars shows, they've been a bit sanitized to appeal to a larger audience. And that star Wars lore that, you know, we appreciate as fans who have seen all the animated stuff, we kind of see it get pushed to the wayside in favor of being more popular. Like, oh, we need to make this show more appealing to a larger audience rather than appeal to the core audience. Because it's Star Wars, it's Disney, you need to make money. Like, I get it. And I'm not saying that it's happening in all the Star Wars live action shows. But, you know, in season three of Mandalorian or in Obi-Wan, this is going to be a deep cut, but I just have to get this off. <laughs> they they don't talk about Satine, who is the Duchess of Mandalore, who is Obi-Wan's love interest and Bo-Katan's sister. They never mention her, but she was the last ruler of Mandalore before it essentially became civil war and the Empire took over. Mm-hmm. And that was just never mentioned in either show. Yeah, and I feel not like at all. That's pretty important for both of those characters journey i'm not saying that just as a oh i need an easter egg oh i need to hear this character i felt like that was a sanitization where it's like oh if we say this larger fans will be like wait i don't know what that i don't get that so i feel like there has been some of that going on in other live action shows but i feel like here with dave filoni it was a star wars show made for star wars fans that have been for the ride and it 
seems like from your perspective that you also feel like you're on the ride as well. Like you also get it. I would, I would say so. The, the, the one thing about the one thing that I've heard from a lot of people that are more, uh, more or less bigger diehard fans love Ahsoka Tano. Absolutely love the character. We're so excited that she was getting her own show. And again, she, she's a big part of clone wars and she's in, she's in rebels, right. As Mm -hmm. well. So she has an important, job within those two animated universes to bring everyone together in that way and people were excited to see her in live action now i love rosario dawson i think there are elements to the first two episodes and this is one of the i don't have many gripes with the first two episodes but i think that there's still a stiffness to the character and from hearing so much love for this character that is not only like a big character in star wars but is a jedi Mm -hmm. right yeah I think it's interesting that she through two episodes is not the most interesting character. So I'm curious on your take on that. Cause again, to me, Sabine was the one that I just like attached to immediately. And I was like, wow, like I can, there's a lot to this character that I feel like we could dive more into. And Ahsoka through the first two episodes, I don't know if that's because the character has been so established in animation too, Mm -hmm. but I think that could wind up hurting it at, in the long run. You know what I mean? So in terms of the first two episodes, that is something that is sitting with me where I'm like, you know, it's interesting that that like when Mando came out, I was so attached to Din like mm-hmm. Din, immediately. And then Grogu eventually was a thing. But Din, there was such a there was such an interesting element to the three actors playing that character. Right. Rosario, like I said, there's something that is just off about her portrayal of this character that I've heard there's so much love and passion and appreciation for. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious on your take in general about her handling of the character and Filoni's job of kind of establishing this character for people that might not have ever seen her ever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I get that. Like I can understand if this is maybe your first foray into her being like, okay, maybe what was the hype about? She seems like a very, you know, stoic independent person. You know, why are people so attached to this character? And I'm not saying that um, there, there, there isn't, that element of negativity like you know maybe they could have done more um but i do think that the show is very much okay with taking its time to establish and then build upon it i think they're planting some seeds here for ahsoka and this guilt that she might have and apprehension to be a master because she saw what happened to her master and maybe we'll get into that more um but you know as someone who who of course has this big relationship with ahsoka i thought it was pretty on par with what was supposed to be done with Ahsoka because uh, like I said a bit earlier you know in Clone Wars she was more standoffish towards the end I mean she cared about the people that were close to her but she was very kind of even keeled and like you would say maybe stiff but in animation it's easier to get away with that because you're um, you can make those kind of little adjustments Um, in Rebels she was a bit more open a bit more caring because she was you know this very Jedi-like figure to people like Kanan and Ezra who didn't really know what that looked like. And she had been a Jedi for so long and she was kind of this godlike figure to them and she was very wise. And again, you know, something might have happened in the original trilogy time period where she might have reverted back. She might not have kept progressing. And I think maybe that's what Filoni's saying here. You know, she still has that mission to help the galaxy to, um, you know, stop threats where they start. But, you know, maybe there is some of that, you know, baggage that she still has in in something we haven't seen before. Based on what I feel like some of the cuts you're having 
and I mean, again, I wouldn't even necessarily say they're deep cuts from the first couple of episodes, but there are elements of the animated series that Filoni is able to pull from that are some of the stronger moments of the first two episodes, right? Mm -hmm. That people like me would be left in the dark for. Do you think they're going to be able to juxtapose? Um, this is a bad way of putting it, but <laughs> juxtapose that in terms of being able to leave enough for people that don't understand it to get the gist of it? Mm -hmm. Or do you think there's going to be too deep of cuts for people to fully wrap their brain around? Because again, even the relationship, I mean, it's good to know the relationship between Sabine and, and Ahsoka seems like it's on par with where we were at. Right. But some of the other thing, like, again, some of these newer characters, you're not sure of their relationship with one another. And like, um, Hugh, Hugh Yang, uh, was a character that really stood out to me mm -hmm. uh, as a and again I, I actually feel like a lot of the stronger characters um, that I connect to are droids. Interestingly, like C three PO has always been a very important character in my life for Star yeah. Wars, right? And uh, Hu Yang was a character that I like immediately was like I really love the relationship between that droid and Ahsoka, but then the relate the conversation between. Hu Yang and Sabine to me was like the standout of the first two episodes, mm. which again, in a series called Ahsoka, it's very interesting, right? Yes. For me. Yes. So um, what do you think about, again, the sort of being able to lean on those stronger moments for people that are not aware of it, as well as that conversation between Hu Yang and Sabine? Yeah, I think it really probably comes down to like subtext, you know, people with the information uh, could look at scenes and maybe get a little bit deeper understanding of where a, a character's coming from. But I feel, you know, because this new relationship between Ahsoka and Sabine is novel for everyone, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity there where there's not going to be those callbacks to like, remember when we did this together or, um, oh, we, we, you did this, we did that, like, cause they weren't together for all those moments. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there to explore a lot of new things. And I think there's just some su more subtext for people who have seen it, but Personally, right now, it doesn't feel like you need to know these characters inside and out to get everything they're doing. Okay, interesting. For me, at least. I know that's not, you know, the prevailing theory. I know, yeah, you know yeah. some people who have watched it have said, oh, this is going to be way too vague for casual fans. Oh, this is way too much exposition for people who love Star Wars. So I, I it, it's hard. I mean, it really is a balancing act, and it's hard to judge only two episodes in because, you know, yeah, it, no, might, that's true it too. might come back around. Definitely. I, one of the, one of the good things that I really, I thought that again, it just, it felt like star Wars. It felt like I was yeah. totally entrenched in this world and the visuals I thought were fantastic sure. for the first two episodes. Sure. Um, but again, I mean, we're, we're, we're just starting to dive into this series We're we're two episodes in, uh, was there something that within the first two episodes you were kind of hoping to see as an introduction, not only for people that don't know as much for me, but like even on your side, like something that you were like, man, I really, and again, we, we have a long way to go. If this is an mm -hmm. eight episode series, we're only a quarter of the way through, yeah. but something that you were like, I really wish that they established this up top because for someone that's been waiting and how remind me how many years in between was the last season of rebels to Ahsoka. So 2018 season four ended for Rebels, So five, five years. years. So that's yeah. a lot of time to sit on a lot. Right. So, right. What was something, uh, give me both of you could, both answers. One that you were waiting on and you were hoping to see in the first two episodes that you either did see or you, you didn't see yet. Mm -hmm. And then something that for, in your brain, you were like, oh, I hope for the people that don't fully understand these characters. I wish they showed this or I'm glad they established this. Yeah, I uh, I think something I was probably looking forward to that, you know, might have just been uh, 
you know, because of the hype. I really would love to have seen a glimpse of Thrawn within the first couple episodes, first two, maybe by the end. Just a glimpse of him because, you know, that is such a big, you know, mic drop for a premiere episode to be like, here he is. But I also appreciate, you know, keeping him in the dark and keeping that kind of looming presence. Um, I think, again, there's an argument to be made that, you know, Ahsoka episode two ends where we already saw in Rebels. Like, it almost feels like you haven't made much progress, if that makes sense, because that epilogue scene in Rebels is also the last scene of episode two. So it's not And there's like- a lot that comes before that. Right. Like you get almost two or an episode and a half, an episode and three quarters before you get that moment in episode two. So, you know, in that respect, you could be like, oh, well, the story hasn't really progressed since then. But, you know, I'd counter that by saying, again, we're establishing this relationship between Ahsoka and Sabine, that there's something there. It would have been weird if they just jumped in and were like, get on this ship. Oh, remember when we were (laughs) when we were master and apprentice? Like, I think that was something they needed to to establish, of course, and um, a lot of these new characters, Balon and and Shin, I think they're really cool to explore. So I'd say Thrawn or, or maybe the lack of progress. But again, it's hard with Filoni because he leaves some of these cliffhangers and you don't know if you're ever going to get the opportunity to con- continue that story where, you know, at when Clone Wars was canceled, we were left with an even bigger cliffhanger of Ahsoka just leaving the Jedi Order and we're like, wait, we're just going to end there. And then we didn't get that conclusion until... 2020 on disney plus which is a crazy long time to wait yeah um so i would say those are my main two and then what was your other one in terms of for like the newer fans something that you were either happy that they showed Mm -hmm. or something that you were like i wish they gave a little bit more exposition on this so that the questions wouldn't be so uh, apparent for people that were unaware of clone wars and rebels yeah i think what i said with you know, making casual fans realize that Sabine and Ahsoka, that's a new relationship. I think they kind of dive into it and it seems like they've had this really long past and you almost expected that they did it in Rebels, like they had this relationship in Rebels when they really didn't. So I think that would have helped a lot of casual fans feel a little bit less anxiety, like, oh, should I know a lot more about this dynamic between these two? So maybe, you know, a line, a throwaway line here or there to say, you know, like, what was the time period when they trained and maybe that would have helped establish it for for more casual fans um but again i think the way they established these characters was really great i think sabine you got an idea of ahsoka you got an idea of and hera you got an idea of moving forward and we'll see how much Hera's is in it i think that's another thing that it's going to be interesting where they go with her because we know that sabine and ahsoka are going to be going off and yeah. you know, Hera is kind of going to be staying back and kind of cleaning up the mess that still is the new republic um and you know herself you know she's gonna try and get out of war she's been in war since she's been a kid um so you know maybe having her own little arc there would be would be really cool um and she has a kid but you'll see that interesting (laughs) interesting see like that's something that i feel like i don't know i wish i would have seen that in the first two episodes yeah you just view a character a little bit differently knowing that that they're actually a parent yeah is she does she have a relationship with someone that's still alive and in no okay no, interesting the kid is from something else okay I, again i want to give feloni the opportunity to to present that to, to me. present that to you guys so yeah i know i went into a lot of stuff today and maybe i took some of feloni's <laughs> no I, flames because he might have a lot of stuff that he's bringing to the table for new care new fans um but again hopefully this this was helpful no yeah for sure <laughs> we've talked we've talked a lot about like the over arching stuff of the first two episodes but just uh, like rapid fire like 
favorite scenes from the first couple episodes for you and then i'll give some of mine well i'll I'll start with mine i guess i'm i it was interesting to see ezra in live action Mm. as a hologram for the first time but i thought that there was a lot of interesting stuff that came with um his presence and how apparent it was that he is such an important character. Mm-hmm. And that's another one along with like, when I hear Ahsoka, I also hear Ezra attached yeah. to that. Like those are characters that are beloved yeah. that, uh, Filoni basically created. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, that was one that stood out for me. And again, Sabine's introduction where we see, uh, the great Clancy Brown as mm-hmm. uh, the governor, uh, and, uh, kind of given that speech to trying to award her, um, it's like a medal for for yeah, some to give a speech. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and she's just not there. And we have that great, um, that great like it's not a race scene, but she's like escaping. But there's a respect there between yeah. her and the pilot. So those were the two that stood out to me in the first episode. For in terms of episode one, what was uh, what were some things in episode one that really stood out in terms of scenes? Yeah, I would definitely say Sabine's introduction was awesome. I I love that whole sequence uh, because that railway or that you know road that leads out of Lothal that's very important to like Rebels fan. That's just kind of like context because that's where uh, Ezra used to stay. That big tower that she's in now. That's where Ezra used to live as an orphan. So that kind of has some sentimental value. That kind of pathway. So I thought that was really cool. Um, I think. The fight scene between Shin and Sabine was really cool. I, I really like Shin's character. I think there's a lot of um a lot not said between her and Balon that I, I appreciate those scenes where there's kind of that nonverbal uh dialogue between them. I really like that. Um and then yeah, I think I really like the scenes where Sabine or any of the characters are really just sitting in their emotions and letting the music, you know, tell the story. I I can't, you know, pin them down right now, but I felt like that was very apparent in the first couple of episodes. There was a lot of just open space for characters to just kind of sit in a moment. The music tells a story and it, in Disney plus fashion, it didn't need to like cut away. Oh, we need to yeah. keep the action. You like, it just kind of sat in those moments, which, which I, I really liked. What about um episode two in terms of, now I liked, uh, I liked episode two a little more than episode one because I felt like things started to pick up. And I do appreciate, like you said, how there was space, uh, within the first episode for Ahsoka to kind of establish. And I respected the fact that we got a longer episode to let it breathe because I feel like a lot of the episodes of recent Disney plus series are like 35 minutes yeah. that we get to 43 minutes and that's it. The first episode I think clocks in at like 50, 51 yeah. Yeah. and it's like a true 50 or 51. Mm-hmm. And the second episode's a little shorter, but it's, it's fast paced in a way that also gives you a lot of really great conversation star wars conversations and just character development like i said i I, the scene between who young and sabine happens in episode Mm -hmm. two that's probably my favorite scene throughout the first two episodes so i'm curious on what you thought were some of the best scenes in episode two yeah i mean we're kind of on the on the same wavelength i I really like that scene of you know sabine kind of accepting that she's making excuses for herself kind of like she's done before she's kind of falling back into that so i really like that scene of, of her accepting that um, I, I like the Hera and Ahsoka scene where they're kind of driving through the shipyard and they're having just this heart to heart about, you know, when is anyone ready to be trained or come back? So, um, makes Ahsoka, you know, look inward a little bit more, which, which I liked. Um, and yeah, I think, I think the, the intrigue of, of that new planet where they have the star map, um, with, uh, Elsbeth, Shin and, and, and Balon, they're all on that planet. They open it and you get this like very expansive galaxy and you're like wow like look at all this potential for storytelling um and you see shin kind of asking like oh wh- what are we doing this for and and Balon's like you know power 
And I think there's a little bit more to that because we see that Balon is um, he's sentimental about the Jedi Order still, even though he's obviously a bad person now. Um, I thought that was really interesting. And then you see the Purgle kind of come through the clouds and it, it, it just gives that foreshadowing, which I thought was really cool. Um, and yeah, again, I, I think the, the lightsaber battle w was good in, in the second episode as well with um, Ahsoka fighting the, the two droids and then this Inquisitor. Yeah, Maric, mysterious Maric. Yeah, we character. Yeah, don't know who that is. So um, yeah, I really enjoyed the episodes just, you know, as total packages. I, I don't know if I have any other favorites outside of what you already yeah, I was going to say just to wrap up the conversation, the thing that I really appreciated throughout the first two episodes were the fact that it's very much about character, which reminds me so much of what is my favorite Disney Plus Star Wars series, which is Andor, where you get these really, I thought the greatest moments of the first two episodes are, like you said, a lot of the conversations that we see between the characters, though I do, and I, I think that there's an element of, that elevates the action scenes, right? Mm -hmm. it, oh, it, it helps supplement um, the series as a whole, but you start to really feel for these characters, especially me who doesn't know a lot of these characters. So I thought that Filoni did a really great job in terms of the setting, the stage and the scene for having these great character moments between certain characters. You know what I mean? That was something that stood out to me. I hope we see more of that. Uh, I'm really excited to see Thrawn. That's, that's yes. probably, and I don't want that to be like the, like, Oh, like you're just waiting for this big bang to happen. It's like, no, there there's definitely an element of this character that seems larger than life, even sure. for star Wars. Mm -hmm. That to me, it's like, I just like, I've, I've never seen, I've never seen a clip of Thrawn. Yeah, I, I yeah. just, I've seen a picture of Thrawn <laughs> and that's it. So I'm really excited to see how Filoni is able to introduce this character to people like me who have never seen him before. Um, but as a whole, I really, I really liked the first two episodes. I'm excited to dive back in. Uh, I was a little worried because I wasn't a huge fan of Mandalorian season three. I mm -hmm. think there it has its moments, but I thought it was the weakest of the three seasons. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, Obi Wan, there again, same thing. There's elements of Obi Wan that I really enjoy, but it, it didn't leave a great taste in my mouth. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, Andor, I believe, was in between the two, right? <laughs> yeah, and Andor, I which I absolutely loved, but. So I'm excited to see uh, episode three. I like that Disney is doing this new rollout. I actually really like, and I think we talked about this in one of our last episodes uh, with Liz and Zach. I was saying that there are certain shows I really like binging. Like The Bear is an example of a show that I'm like, oh, yeah, like 30-minute episodes. Yeah. And it's great to binge, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the only one I think that is outside of that that I'm just a psycho when I watch as soon as they drop a Stranger Things. I like sit sure. and I watch yeah. for a whole day. I'll watch all of Stranger Things, right? Uh -huh. uh, but I like the fact that we're going to get Ahsoka dropping at 9 p.m. on a Tuesday because it's going to feel like real appointment viewing again. Like, And yeah. 9 o'clock is a great time because, like, again, people are like – it's good exactly like, yeah. <laughs> i think it's going to be great so um i'm just curious on your overall thoughts of everything and and uh, what you thought of ahsoka's first two episodes yeah yeah it's amazing it took them this many shows to realize they should make it more like event tv like they've had all these shows come out and they've released them at 3 a.m east coast time on wednesday every yeah week. and it's like who like you're getting a very fractured viewing experience which i i, I don't like but yeah i love that we're getting these tano tuesdays at nine o'clock every tuesday it's I can watch it right before bed. It's it's awesome. Um, but yeah, overall, like I said, I loved the way he did these first two episodes. It felt the most Star Wars out of any Star Wars show. I know you mentioned Andor. I know you mentioned some other shows. And I think all of them have their strengths. I think Andor is very um, different from anything we've ever seen in Star Wars. And I think it's very uh, 
beautifully written. It's much different than any type of writing we've gotten before in Star Wars. I think Mando, we had that adventure type feel without having to focus on the Jedi and the Force. I think, you know, Book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan were were a bit of duds. Um, and Obi-Wan was supposed to be that show where you felt like there was a very big emphasis on the Force and Jedi. And I think it dropped the ball. But I think here, Ahsoka is kind of going to toe the line between all of that, like have that Andor type feel of character focus. It'll have that adventure feel of Mandalor- Mandalorian. And then it'll have that Force element of Obi-Wan. And I just think, you know, Dave Filoni, again, he hasn't steered me wrong yet. He's doing well. I think a lot of people are a bit nervous, you know, through the first two episodes, but I think this is just the beginning. We're just getting started. I think there's a lot of questions and even some critiques that I think will be kind of soothed out by the next couple episodes. And I'm really excited. The minute these two episodes ended, I was like, I cannot wait for next week. I am excited about where this adventure is going and all of the new lore that diehard fans like me are, is going to get here. Like, it feels like Filoni's going to keep expanding the galaxy. He's not going to be complacent, like, oh, you know, we got to appeal to everyone. No, he wants to bring in Night Sisters, bring in these ancient civilizations, new galaxies, star maps, all this stuff. I think it's so cool, so important to Star Wars. And you can definitely tell that he is the Padawan of George Lucas himself. Absolutely. Dave, you have two happy Star Wars fans here. So (laughs) thank you, Dave Maloney. Uh, That's pretty much going to do it for the first two episodes of us talking about Ahsoka. Uh, Just to wrap up, I just wanted to, again, my name is Darren Scalamoni. I'm one of the hosts. I'm also joined by Mark Alcabino. And uh, we're going to do more of these. So again, let us know in the comments what you guys liked about our conversation, other things you want us to talk about. And uh, otherwise, uh, we'll see you guys next week.